she never stops surprising us, I guess. Like there's, there's never, um, and that's kind of cool is you just don't, you, you never know the whole person there yet. Um, I mean, at the beginning of the process, you don't think that you'll ever ask your child questions like, have you been on an airplane? Have you ever had the chicken pox? Have you seen Beauty and the Beast? Right? You just, you don't know. And sometimes neither do they. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Jennifer Thomas, TBHC's marketing director. We are excited you're joining us today to hear stories of foster care and adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. My guests today are Philip and Kelly Ledbetter. After some time in other states, Philip and Kelly uh, families, they ended up coming to Texas. They've been married for over 12 years and currently live in McKinney. Philip teaches fencing and archery and Kelly is a freelance writer who somehow finds time to read over 100 books a year. They started their journey of adoption with TBHC in 2015 with their adoption finalizing in, on May 9th, 2017. It was a long but rewarding journey that I'm excited to experience with all of you today. Philip, Kelly, thank you for sharing your time with me today and telling your Bringing Kids Home story. Happy to do it. Thank you for having us. Well, first, why don't you tell us how you guys met? Uh, we met in college. Both of us attended Oklahoma Baptist University and started dating late our freshman year. It was a very romantic uh, freshman English class. <laughs> <laughs> um, and got engaged uh, towards the end of our senior year in 2008 and married that summer. Four month engagement. Yes. Why wait? <laughs> That's great. I know that there's a part of your story that I definitely want to explore today if y'all are open to it, and that's ICWA. So when we get into that, love to hear what you, you guys have to say about it. But tell us your bringing kids home story. Pretty much every time we talked about kids, uh, adoption came up, uh, I think from pretty much the very first time that we talked about kids. Uh, and I don't know, was it? 2014 when we kind of decided to when we went to the, the first information meeting i think so i remember initially feeling reluctant to find out information i stopped sleeping very well <laughs> and i realized that was a message that i needed to start saying yes until it was a very clear no so um Yes, TBH was the first place we found out information, and it was the only place we needed to go. Yeah, um, we went away from the first information meeting feeling a lot more encouraged, and with the whole thing feeling a lot more just possible, because um, I think we had uh, a number of misconceptions about what was involved in the process um, in terms of uh, just what we what what, we, what would be required from us ahead of having a kid and um, the the financial burden involved, uh, and I think that just that seemed pretty overwhelming until we went to uh, an adoption uh, information meeting 
uh, at TBH. And that really cleared up a lot of those concerns. It made us come away thinking, oh, th this is definitely something that we can do. Yeah. Do you guys mind sharing a little myth busting for people who might be interested? Uh, what are maybe three misconceptions that you had before going to that meeting? I think the biggest is it was is that it's expensive. Um, I think we, you know, neither, I teach at a little private Christian school. Kelly's um, now a freelance writer at the time was working for a college prep um, place. We're not uh, at all wealthy um, by, uh, by, by standards of our country. And, and so I think there was a lot of concern of how, how will we afford the process? Um, but in looking at the, in, in going to the meeting and having the different avenues of adoption, uh, explained to us, it was pretty obvious to us that straight adoption out of the foster system was, was what we would both want to do. Um, and that was, ex I mean, it that ended up being pretty much nothing out of pocket for us. We paid for a couple of our trainings. Uh, so we, we maybe put out in terms of just the, the training process, we maybe put out a couple hundred dollars. Um, but other than that, the only expense was buying things for our daughter. And well, frankly, her grandparents bought most everything we, we could need ahead of time. Uh, so that was what the big one for me. I don't know if there was anything else for you. I think I was not aware that you had a lot of, control, maybe control is the wrong word, a lot of say in the person who would become your child. Um, I was kind of entertaining the thought that if I raised my hand and said, I'm interested in adoption, that a children would show up on my front doorstep. And that's not how the process works. Um, there was a lot of detail and realistic conversation about what we could and couldn't handle. And I found that greatly reassuring. Mm -hmm. Pretty much any uh, adoption agency is going to have regular information meetings to, to talk to people. There was, at least our experience with TBH was there was no, there was no kind of pressure at the meeting. It was, it was really just, here is what it is. There were people perfectly happy to talk to us and answer questions at the end of it, but we, Kelly and I are both fairly introverted and, and don't, don't take sales pitches well. And so we were able to go sit, listen, absorb the information and, and then leave and talk about it ourselves. There was no, no pressure to it at all. There was no cost for going to a meeting. Um, and so I, I think the biggest encouragement would just be go and, go and find out like just go attend a meeting at an agency in your area because it doesn't it doesn't cost you anything but a little bit of time uh and you'll at least have you'll at least have the facts to make decisions with that's great encouragement that's an fyi to everyone listening that you ought to do exactly what he just said <laughs> that's wonderful how about the next stage of this we're going to do this process with straight adopt so what's next for you? What do you, what do you do after you make that decision? We spent a lot of time talking together um, and deciding what, what, what path we were going to, we were going to take and landed on straight adoption. Um, and then we spent a lot of time talking about what 
changes that needed to make to our lives in preparation to that. And that was actually the point at which Kelly um, started working from home, started uh, doing freelance writing. Luckily, the place she was working um, had a position that she could do from home. And so we started to make that transition uh, and started to look at what the requirements were um, for us to fill out the the initial application and that kind of thing. And so from that point, it was largely paperwork, which uh, Kelly took command of because I'm not nearly organized enough to have gotten it done. And so uh, at, at that point, I sort of just yielded to to Kelly's organizational ability and then let her tell me when I need to do a filled out a form by or when I needed to complete a training by. I think one of the things that was a part of this stage of conversation was realizing that we were best set to uh, bring home a school-aged child rather than uh, someone who was younger um, based on the supports that we had in place, Philip being a teacher, and frankly, our familiarity with young children. Um, we wanted someone who was um, speaking and past the diaper stage <laughs> and, um, you know, already had more life experience isn't quite what I want to say, but someone who we could get to know on a different level than an infant. Uh, so I think that was probably when we came to that conclusion. Uh, on that note, I think that was another thing that was a big surprise to us when we went to the information meeting, because one of the things that we were told that just blew us both away uh, was the average age of a kid uh, in foster care was uh, in Texas was like I think nine um, at the time we were at the meeting, and I don't think it had ever occurred to us that the average age was that was that high, um, and so I, I think both of us had probably also kind of been imagining a very young child, um, you know, an infant or a toddler, and then that was intimidating to both of us as well, um, because both of us just are inclined and better at um, little kids instead of instead of babies uh, and so that uh, hearing that and hearing that that was really the need that was I think a big confirmation for us that this thing that we're kind of we're kind of intimidated by is not really what the big need was the big need is for people willing to, to adopt older kids uh, and that just, uh, that, I think that made a big difference in, in our thinking about it too. Oh, fantastic. That's the thing we want to do. Right. <laughs> That's really amazing. I'll comment on one of the things you, you pointed out is pretty much knowing yourselves. Spending enough years married and understanding who you are and what your gifts are. Kelly doing paperwork, you not. Uh, working with that age group is a really special thing. And a lot of people don't really understand that because we do require you to be married a certain number of years in order to become a foster or adoptive parent because of this exactly what you're pointing out. That's really great. So we're at that stage. You've trained a lot of training, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of training, but um, really uh, not, not exhaustive. I mean, a lot of it was, it was kind of, there's sort of a mix. There was some agency training and there's some state training and the state training is probably about what you, what you expect it to be. It's, it's like, it's like driver's ed. It's 
it's kind of boring and tedious, um, but it's, it's useful information and you got to get through it. Uh, so there was a lot of that. And then there was um, some, there was a lot of first aid training uh, and some different, uh, I think probably the, I think the, uh, for us, we did our training a little bit out of order just because of the time in the, in, in the training cycle that we jumped in. Um, and so our first training was um, our case manager reading us all the like worst case scenario stories of what the kids that's coming into your home may have been through that you may not know that they've been through because it's it's repressed or it hasn't made it into their file and that sort of thing. Uh, and so that was um, that was eye opening in its own way. Um, but I think the, the trainings that we did in person with our agency was, uh, were, um, the most helpful. I, I think getting the, the first aid thing and doing a bunch of, um, how to deescalate conflicts with, with a kid when they, you know, if they, if a kid gets violent, um, in different ways, that was, I mean, luckily for us, none of that has come up with our daughter, but, uh, that was, I think again, kind of a reality check of this is not this is not entirely a feel good movie. I, kids are coming out of very very real and very very hard environments that you won't even necessarily you well you you absolutely won't know the kid's whole story when they arrive in your home. One of the things that I appreciated about the way that the trainings were shaped was that the goal was to prepare you to serve your child in the ways that they need. And so it was all about meeting the needs of children and not here's how to build your ideal family. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that was, um, both refreshing and realistic. Yeah, I, a very intentional distinction for sure. Well, you know, it's been a great advertisement for TBHC, I think. <laughs> I do appreciate that. But what I love telling families is TBHC is a part of your story, mm -hmm. but it is only the beginning. And where you guys are today and how you guys got there, it's, I'm really looking forward to hearing that. So, Let's talk about your family, your daughter coming into the home. We can hit whatever high points you want, but I, I want to explore that adoption story for sure. And then I'd love to hear how things are going in general. Um, we had three or four potential placements before, uh, before our daughter, before Rose. Um, and there were, you know, they got to various stages of the process uh, before either we didn't get picked or we had to say no because it was a situation that we just didn't feel right or we did anything we, you know, in our praying about it. We just didn't feel peace about it. Um, but uh, then our case manager um, texted us about uh, the usual way that we would get the first thing we would hear is we'd get a text and it would be, um, the child's gender and age, and that was pretty much it. 
um, maybe one or two little facts. I think the first, the first potential placement we had was likes electronics and backhand. Like that was the other little like um, thing about them that, that we knew. Uh, and so we got um, Rose's age and um, that it was a little girl uh, and that we were being submitted, that our file, our case study was being submitted to, uh, uh, to the, the state about her. Uh, and it really seemed to me to move very quickly <laughs> at that point. Um, we went through, a, there's, there's a couple of weeks of just knowing nothing because you're waiting on various hearings and discussions uh, of your file to go through. Uh, and then we got, um, we got her file uh, and spent, uh, we came down and got it on, it was on disc. We didn't even get home. Um, we couldn't even get home. Like we picked it up from TBH because we didn't want to wait for it in the mail and we couldn't even get home. Like we stopped at a Starbucks and plugged it into Kelly's laptop and sat and read through the, read through the file on her. Between first getting her photo texted to us and meeting her, I believe was less than three weeks. Yeah. Um, which was good timing for us. It was right at the end of the school year. And at first we foolishly thought, well, we'll get to know her and let her finish her school year <laughs> at her foster home and with her friends at school. But at our first meeting, we thought, no, we're desperate to have our daughter come live with us. <laughs> so um, I think she, uh, well, I can probably be exact. Uh, we got uh, texted her photo on leap year day, 2016. And uh, the day we celebrate as our anniversary is April 6th when she moved in. So that's not long at all. Yeah, so we found out about her and then met her midway through March, I think. Um, and that was just unreal. Uh, and, um, you know, there's the process is, you know, you've got to wait like 24 hours or something to, but after, between steps before you say, yes, let's move on to sort of force you to spend some time in thought and prayer about it. And that, that was excruciating. Like that was we immensely hard to wait. Sure. Um, and so we were, we were moving it as quickly as we could. Uh, and I think she came and visited us. We went and visited her like the week after we met her and she came and stayed with us for a weekend. And then we basically negotiated with her CPS caseworker for the earliest possible move-in date that they could manage. Um, but we, uh, from that point, it did not go very fast. But I mean, that was, it, that was very hard, but looking back, that was okay. We had her in the house. She was, she was with us. She was calling us mom and dad. Like it was, um, the legal status is of very great importance to you when you don't have it, but looking back on it, that's not the thing that makes family. Um, and so she was placed with us for about a year. 13 months. 13 months. <laughs> um, and there were a number of there were a number of hangups all on the, on the CPS side um, that were very frustrating to us, but I imagine are kind of just something that goes along with working with 
working with government bureaucracy in most things is you just have delays and you have hangups and, and mix-ups. And we were, yeah, so we, we felt very frustrated a lot of that time, but we had, we had Rose in the house and that was, we were getting to get to know her and we were getting to play games with her and, and she was getting to meet family and, and our friends. And, um, uh, and so that was, that was a, a really odd situation because she's, you know, the kid, the, the child is yours to an extent. Um, you're kind of in this weird limbo where you are getting to know the child more every day. You're falling more and more in love with the child every day. Um, but there's always kind of hanging over you this even however minuscule chance uh, that it could conceivably all fall apart somewhere along the way. Um, so that was, I think that was probably the hardest stage because you just are, are torn uh, in, in so many directions emotionally by the, the, the just little element of uncertainty that is thrown into there. And it, it's, even if it's such a small chance that everything goes wrong, it, it doesn't feel small <laughs> in the, when you're in it. Hi, I'm Jamie Hogan, Executive Program Administrator at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption Services. Did you know there's over 7,000 children waiting for adoption today? Did you also know that Texas has 30,000 children entering foster care every year? At TBHC, our hope is to provide the highest quality of care for kids who are coming from really hard places. We work to make sure that children in our care have a safe and loving home and that their dreams have no limits. What if you could be a part of making those dreams possible? I'd like to invite you to join the thousands of people who help TBHC meet the needs of children by going online to tbhc.org and clicking the donate button. Our ministry depends on supporters like you to help bring kids home. On our website, you can also find out more information about our agency, inspiring stories, and ways to pray for TBHC kids. To find out how you can make an impact on children in foster care, check us out at tbhc.org. You're absolutely right. So what y'all are talking about is the Indian Child Welfare Act and how mm -hmm. that influenced all this. And so obviously the state had some issues of resolving that and that was mm -hmm. a big deal for you. They didn't follow through like they should have. Tell us your experience with that. What were you doing? Cause obviously TBHC was heavily involved in insulating you, but what was y'all's awareness? We were pretty much told as much as our case manager at TBH knew um, she was very, uh, she was very, very um, communicative with us. Um, and, uh, honestly, uh, the problem that she had was getting clarity from the state on exactly what it was that was holding it up. Um, because what we were told was holding it up was three or four different things before we really got a straight answer. Um, and I mean, I, I have no idea what the, what the cause of that was specifically at all, but we got, we got three or four different things before we got down to the root of it, which was, as you pointed out, it was an ICWA thing where there had been a claim to Native American heritage by uh, one of her parents. And so when that happens, um, the Indian Child Welfare Act um, is designed to make sure that uh, children from a Native American tribe are 
basically the tribe gets the first chance to place that child uh, before it's before the child's placed outside of the tribe. Um, and so when there's a claim like that, the state has to investigate the legitimacy of the claim, what tribe is involved, whether that tribe um, works with the state on ICWA, and, and a whole bunch of other things. So there's just a whole lot of investigation that has to go on. Uh, and so that that's probably, I think that's the biggest thing that slows it down. Um, in this case, the state ultimately dismissed the claim on a couple of different grounds. Um, but one of which was that our child is not of Indian heritage. Yes, yeah, so our, our child um, is just white as a sheet and and straw blonde hair. Um, so yeah, that's that's part of it too. Um, I wish I could have submitted a photo <laughs> to anyone who was involved in that because the claim being facetious was just very apparent. Um, our our understanding of the situation is that the claim was made uh, as an objection to submitting hair for a drug test. Um, but because it was brought up in court, it had to be investigated. Uh, and so the state was doing its due diligence, but very, very slowly. Um, and I think the most frustrating thing for us was not so much that it happened, but that we were not communicated clearly what the holdup was. At almost any point. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and at some point we were, you know, at a certain point it was really just our, our case manager at TBH calling the caseworker from the, uh, from Child Protective Services, just asking, have you submitted the paperwork yet? Have you submitted the paperwork yet? Have you submitted the paperwork yet? On almost, I think, a certain point on a daily basis. Uh, and that was that was just what it took to get the paperwork finally finally properly submitted. Um, so that was I think that was very frustrating to us was not so much the timing as that in it ultimately looking at it seemed like a lot of the delays were were unnecessary. Um, but you know, we we made it through, and our our caseworker, our our case manager for our agency was um, was very straight with us when they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> um, she was just, I, I'm trying to find out, but they, I just don't know. Uh, Every question we had, we received a response um, with the full details as they were known. Um, I think the state did not. Well, some state workers did not share the full or correct details when they could have. Mm -hmm. And that tainted the experience for us quite a bit. I, th I think we had one of the things that's interesting to me in, in looking back on it is I think we got both ends of the, the caseworkers at the state because, um, because uh, Rose was from a, a county that was several hours away um, her case got uh, subcontracted essentially out to a caseworker closer to us rather than her original caseworker. The caseworker closer to us was really helpful. Like he was, he was great and um, as informative as he could be. He tried to find out information for us when we asked for it. 
Um, he was very encouraging and friendly. Um, and on the other hand, the, the other caseworker that we were working with uh, was not really any of those things. Um, and so it's, as with anything, it's very much depending on who you are, who you are dealing with directly, what your experience is like. Uh, and so it was, it was very nice to have someone close by who was encouraging, um, but it was, it was really very good to be able to lean on our agency um, to advocate for us. And I can't imagine the process without that, uh, without that aid. Yeah, definitely. What if someone's walking a similar road right now? What were the things that you did to help you get through this waiting period that you could share to encourage somebody? It was a lot of prayer. Um, we had groups that we could share with, um, with our, uh, our small group at church, uh, knew pretty much everything that was going on. Um, both of our families, uh, or both of our, our parents and, and my siblings, um, knew everything that was going on. It was, it was really just having a, having a network of support um, in, in friends and family that we could be open with about how hard and how frustrating uh, everything felt um, in those moments. Uh, but, and, and then I think also just focusing on, uh, focusing on Rose, um, focusing on, on our daughter. And she's, she's there, she's with us. Um, we are continuing to get to know her and, and finding out new, uh, and, uh, new, new things about her, new quirks about her personality on a daily basis. Um, cracking up every time that she picked up some mannerism from Kelly, uh, within such a ridiculously short amount of time. Um, so I, I think... I think a lot of it was having that support network that just made a huge difference for me at least. There are things you can control and there are things you cannot control. And if I had made a list of those two things, I think I would have felt less fretful. Uh, another thing that's helpful is thinking of just the massive number of people involved in an adoption from the person who first reported some difficulty in Rose's biological family, that person was involved in our adoption, to the people who were ruling on the appeal case, those people were involved in our adoption. And so thinking about the process as infinitely larger than yourself, and knowing that only the Lord can keep all of those pieces together. Yeah, that's, that's really important. How are things? What, what is life like? Uh, I know a lot of people, this is actually the moment everyone's paying attention because what was it like to get through all of this process and on the other side? Having it done was um, just a gigantic relief. You just felt like a, a weight had been lifted off of you. As well, I personally 
earned back a part-time job's worth of time in my week, that is not a small thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember it was kind of a little thing, but it felt like this big victory when we got, got back after the, I went to the courthouse, there were family and friends over the bodies there. The judge is real happy. Our, um, our caseworkers are there. And then we went out and had dinner with family afterwards, but getting back to the house, one of the really, really little, um, things that we had to do to make the house acceptable for the state is we had to put the little plastic plugs in all the outlets. Um, and so anyway, we have a seven-year-old, she's not going to stick her finger in an outlet. There's, you know, the, but this is a requirement. So we maintained this and just going around and popping all of those out. It was just this sort of feeling of, of victory and, and, and relief. Not to mention being able to post a photo of her on social media. Yeah. Being able to share that. Um, 13 months. You can't share a picture of a child online. I, uh, uh, put one up about 30 minutes before our court case in a small act of rebellion. Um, <laughs> but that was, I mean, it was, it was just so, so wonderful. Um, being, having the process complete, knowing that you just don't have to, you don't have to think about this in anything, but fondly looking back on it from this point on, like there's no, there's no sense of, danger to it anymore um so that was that was i think amazing i describe it this way i say it, it was like being a family was a priority for the very first time yeah that does describe it mm -hmm. that's amazing uh, so one thing that adoption minded people should know and anything else you feel is unsaid I think if adoption for, is for you, uh, the Lord will never let it go away. You think about the uh, story of Samuel. The Lord patiently called Samuel. Samuel didn't understand the call. And the Lord patiently called Samuel. And Samuel did not understand the call. And the Lord patiently called Samuel until Samuel understood what he was supposed to do. And I think that is the call of adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I guess, I guess for me, it, it was also learning to, learning to control my expectations for how fast it was going to go for, uh, how fast she was going to feel safe here. Like, uh, there's, there's still levels to which she doesn't trust us. Um, and that's, that's, it's hard for that to not be hurtful, but it's not, it, it shouldn't be, I mean, it, it does, but it's not like it's a personal slight against us on her part. Um, at the most vulnerable part of her life, she couldn't trust adults. Um, and so I think a lot of it was just, you have to you have to go just sort of let go of your expectations on those areas uh, and let everything take as long as it needs to. Um, Rose is, Rose is behind in everything academic. 
Uh, Kelly and I were both very high achieving students. We're both very, um, very academically minded people. We care a lot about our education. Uh, and it did require some thought. Um, and my, uh, my principal, when I first told her we were doing this, when we were talking about that, um, that was like one of the first things she brought up and she said, listen, you're, you're smart and you're academic and you like learning uh, and you need to know, uh, because she has a, a background in childhood development, <clears throat> you need to know that that's, that's not where this kid is going to come from. Um, and uh, she's right. Rose doesn't love school for the learning of it. Rose loves school because she gets to see her friends and she loves her teachers. Uh, and I have learned that that's fine. Uh, so I think just controlling your expectations for how quick the kid, the child's going to develop, how quick they're going to trust you, and how quick they're going to feel safe in your home, um, and let it take as long as it needs to take. Those are incredibly powerful reminders. <laughs> uh, thank you both so much for sharing. The journey is not finished. Uh, you you only get to dream from here, right? I mean, what an amazing thing. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review. And don't forget to subscribe. To everyone listening, thanks for helping bring kids home. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.